So tonight, the title of the message is this. Who's in the room? Who's in the room? I don't know if you, any of you have ever experienced this. Maybe it was a Friday night. Maybe it was a Saturday. Who knows? And you're relaxing at your house. Maybe you just threw on a movie. Maybe you just made yourself a nice little dinner. Then all of a sudden your phone rings. And on the other end of the line is maybe one of your close friends. And they're like, hey, you need to come hang out with me or we need to go watch this movie together. We need to make this happen. Let's go to Top Golf. Let's go have a good time. I've got some people there that want to hang out. And you're just sitting at home anyway, eating the TV dinner and watching, uh, you're binge watching something on Netflix. I don't know what your, your, your favorite show is. I know that for me, I've got some favorite shows. I'm not going to tell you what those are because we ain't there just yet. Okay, I'll let you know those later. And typically for me, because I'm an introvert and I like, I'm a homebody, the question I typically ask is, well, who's, who's going to be there? Because y'all know, don't lie to me, y'all know this. That depending on who's there usually determines on if you're going to get up off the couch and if you're actually going to get your hair did and you're actually going to put that outfit on. And it actually even determines how prepared you get to actually go. Because if, you know, if that guy's there that, you know, yeah, I, I, I want to go and I got to make sure that I look good. And, and, if, and if she's there, you got to make sure that you, 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 you take those dirty clothes that you wore like last week and you spray them with some Febreze and you try to make sure they get all the right. But the reality is, whoever's in the room makes a big difference on whether you're moved to go or to stay. And you see, that was what happened in Mark chapter 5. That there's a man by the name of Jairus and his daughter was sick in bed to the point of death. And in his room at that time, he had some of his friends, some of his close confidants. But all he could sense in that room at that time was negativity, pessimism, discouragement. And he got to a point that he said, I need to get Jesus in this room. Because I don't know if you've ever experienced it when you've been walking maybe through an airport or you've been, uh, you show up to a venue and there's a celebrity there. I don't know if you've ever been to a Kings game and they shout out the celebrity that's sitting on the front row. And they were like, yay, Sacramento's Kings suck, but we're so glad that you're here. I'm a Kings fan. Let's just call it what it is. We are not good. Or if you've ever been in the airport and you're like, oh my goodness, that's, that's so-and-so right there. And then you walk over to them and you try to get an autograph and you try, it changes the atmosphere, right? When someone of notoriety walks in to the environment, especially someone of significance. But now imagine someone that has the solution walking into the middle of your problem. That's where Jairus is at. And this is tonight's message. Uh, no one's going to be able to ever say that Bayside 1825 does not teach the Bible. No one's going to be able to ever say that Bayside 1825 does not go deep into God's word. Because tonight I'm giving you 21 verses and we are going to exegetically pull out pieces of this passage to land us in to this phrase, who's in the room. Look at your neighbor right now and say, who's in the room? Who's in the room? And if you do not have your Bible, don't worry. You have a smartphone, you need to download the Bible app onto your smartphone. 
and delete some of those games that are on your phone. My wife will tell you, I need to delete games on my phone. But I also have the Bible app, so I try to have a good percentage of balance between which ones are which. But I'm also going to have the scriptures on the screen for you guys tonight. So make sure you pay very, very close attention. Starting in Mark chapter 5. Here's what I love about the book of Mark, especially chapters 4, 5, and 6. This is almost like a diehard trilogy. I'm telling you. Like these chapters of the Bible, Jesus goes on a miracle spree that will blow your mind. When you're reading Mark uh, chapters 4, 5, and 6, you're like, this guy was gangster. Jesus was a G. Like, it, Jesus would show up into situations, and Mother Nature had to shut her mouth. Like, that's, that's how significant he was. And in Mar at the beginning of Mark chapter 5, he rolls up onto the uh, shoreline. He gets off the boat, and there's a demon-possessed man shackled there greeting him. That's his, imagine that greeting you at the front entrance right now. You're like, yo, I'm just trying to come to church. Ah, 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 ah. Jesus hops off the boat, this demon-possessed man, breaking chains, and he, then he falls prostrate at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus casts these demons out of him, and he throws them into a lot of pigs. The pigs go jumping off a, a side of a cliff, and they die. It's just pandemonium. Then Jesus gets back into the boat. He goes back across the sea again, and there's a large crowd waiting for him. And this is where we get introduced to the character known as Jairus. You see, Jairus, he was a religious leader of the day. And with that being said, layman's terms, current vernacular, he was a pastor. He was a priest. He was someone that had a, 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 an official position within the religious system there. So starting at verse 21, it says this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. She's 12 years old. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. And at this moment, it says that Jesus went with him. Me being a father of three little boys, I couldn't imagine the immense anxiety, fear, terror that was swirling around in Jairus' mind. The sense that his 12-year-old daughter was now on the brink of breathing her last breath. He fights through the crowd to get to Jesus. I don't know if you've ever had such a significant problem in your life that you were willing to fight through the crowd and the spectators to actually get to Jesus, to actually get into proximity of someone that could actually give you the solution. And, and here Jairus hears these words that Jesus is saying, yes, I'll go with you. Then I can only imagine this thrill of victory that's now happening inside of him, that I'm now ushering the son of the living God, Jesus, who is notorious for the miracles that he performs, that he is renowned throughout the region for healing the deaf, blind, and the dead. I'm now ushering him to the front door of my problem. I'm now making it my main goal to get Jesus in the room. I'm making it my main goal, my sole objective to take my situation and my brokenness and my dysfunction and my goal is to get Jesus into my room, into my situation. 
a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So now Jairus has now pleaded with Jesus. Jesus said, now I'm willing to go. And then the crowd comes back around and starts to impede the process of getting Jesus to his daughter. It goes on, it says, and then a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she only got worse. I don't know if you noticed something there, but when you begin to invest into man as being the solution to your problems, things typically get worse. When you try to depend on other people to be the source of healing that you need in your life, it gets worse. Typically, it gets worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? I'm going to highlight this character for a brief moment. This woman has been struggling with an issue of blood for 12 years. And so much so that it's actually begun, she, she went to find help and it has actually gotten worse. What you've got to understand in this current day and age within scripture is that she was deemed unclean. In other words, she was not allowed to leave the house. And she was deemed unclean by the religious leaders of the day. She was deemed unclean and she was meant to be isolated and subjected to a life of solitude because the religious rule and law was that if you had this situation happening in your life, you could not be in proximity to other people. And if you were in proximity to people, you had to declare, I am unclean. I am unclean. I am unclean. And you had to constantly reiterate your current condition so that there could be a healthy parameter and foot space between you and the rest of community. So what she did here was in direct violation of the religious law that was mandated at the time. She didn't announce where she was and who she was. She pressed through the crowd. She was actually touching people in the, in the meantime to get to Jesus. And then we see here that it was through her own desperation and her own zeal and her own passion to get next to Jesus that power was actually extracted from him. This is the only time in scripture we ever see this happen. This is the only time that we ever see someone come up and literally siphon miracle working power out of Jesus. Verse 31 then says, you see the people crowding against you, Jesus, because you just asked who touched you. There are a ton of people around you right now. His disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. I don't know, if, if I were Jairus at this very moment, I'd be like, yo, Jesus, who cares? Who cares who touched you right now? Who cares in this crowd, we're not going to be able to identify them. That's fun that you want to identify them and give them a high five. But my daughter is dying. But scripture says that Jesus just kept looking around. Think of this for a second. Think of if you had a loved one breathing their last breath and time was of the essence. And you're pleading with Jesus and he already said, yes, I'm going to do it. 
And as you are ushering Jesus back to the doorstep of your room, of your brokenness, of your discouragement, of death, he just, who did that though? Like, who touched me? Like, that was crazy. Someone touched me and like power left. That was like weird. And then you start walking a little bit. Man, I just can't stop thinking about it. Like someone touched me and they got healed. Could you, I'd be like, Jesus, who cares? Good, they got healed. You know who's not healed? My daughter. She's not healed yet. Here's what you've also got to understand in this moment. Jairus was a religious leader of the time. Not only was Jesus being impeded by the crowd, getting in front of him and pulling at his garments, now he's getting impeded by a miracle that just happened and he's, he's just looking around and wondering who it was. And now look at this. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet. That's the third time in one chapter that people came and fell at his feet. Because if you read the beginning of Mark chapter 5, the, demonic, the, 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 the man possessed by demonic forces threw himself at Jesus' feet. Jairus, the religious leader at the time, threw himself at Jesus' feet. The woman now healed of her issue of blood threw herself at Jesus' feet. I'm beginning to think there's a, there's a pattern. So she comes and she throws herself at Jesus' feet, trembling with fear, and told him the whole truth. He said to her, unclean? He said to her, you've got issues? No, 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 no. He said, daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Let's put these pieces together. Jairus, religious leader of the time, woman with an issue of blood of 12 years. This is merely speculation because they do not have this defined within scripture. But I, if we put the pieces together, I would be willing to say that Jairus and this woman knew each other at some point. Because who else would have deemed her unclean? Who else would have confined her to a life of solitude and isolation besides the religious leaders of the day? And even if Jairus didn't know her, she knew him. I can almost guarantee that she knew the name Jairus because that was one of the names that have kept her bedridden and a, and a subject of shame within the community. And now imagine this, I'm Jairus and this woman who is ceremonially unclean is now getting a miracle. A woman that I would say is deemed unqualified, a woman that I would say is not deserving, a woman that I would say, this is Jairus, are you guys tracking with me? He's saying, Jesus, I'm trying to get you to a miracle. I'm a religious leader of the day. And now he's now, he's watching a woman get a miracle that he himself would say doesn't deserve it. And I wonder how many of us have ever been there. How many of us have felt like we've been faithfully serving God? 
we've been showing up early to set up chairs and to make food, or, or maybe we, we've been showing up on a weekly basis to our church service, and we've been doing our diligence. We've even given into the offering bucket every once in a while, and we're like, God, don't you see, see what I'm doing? I'm trying to honor you. I'm trying to serve you. And then someone that we would say does not even deserve it gets a breakthrough and a blessing in their life. And then I wonder in that moment, what was Jairus thinking? What was swirling around in the emotional thought of Jairus at that moment? Could you, could you imagine that? Someone that you would say, they do not deserve a miracle. They don't deserve a touch from Jesus. Someone that you would classify as unworthy. And you have one of the most hurtful, painful situations happening in your life. And then you watch them get a miracle and a breakthrough. Jairus' daughter was 12 years old. This woman has now suffered with her issue of blood for 12 years. Once again, this is speculation. But some historians, biblical philosophers, they use a phrase called numerology. And numerology is the study of numbers having significance within Scripture. Okay? I'm not saying that this is, this is not within Scripture. This is what we've, as we of society and humanity have studied the Word of God, we've, saw, we've seen that there are numbers that God has used within Scripture that, that it can't be coincidence that He's using that number. What is that number associated with? And the number 12 has been categorized as the number of governmental perfection. The number 12 in numerology means governmental perfection. What does that mean? It means that God operates in a system and in seasons of perfection. That his timing and his judicial system is without flaw. So Jairus is now standing there having a 12-year-old daughter on the brink of death, wanting God's judicial system to come to the front door of his life while he's watching a woman who's been ceremonially unclean, unworthy of God's attention, now get a miracle. How in the world is that balancing? How, Jairus is now having a theological conundrum. Are you guys with me? Where there is now a fracture in his belief system. God, I know that you're perfect, but this does not make any sense to my rational mind. I, I know none of you have ever been there. I know God makes perfect sense to you. I know that you have the totality of the Trinity perfectly explained. It's in your Bible journal and you recite it to yourself every night because you know the deep questions of God. You've got them all memory. You've never been at a point where you've had a theological crossroads and you've never questioned the character of God. I know I have. So now Jairus has a chance to choose. Am I still going to get Jesus to the room even when I've seen someone else that didn't deserve a miracle get it? Am I still willing to get Jesus into the middle of my situation even though right now my mind can't comprehend, my rational thought can't put the pieces together, but for some reason I know that Jesus still needs to get into the middle of my situation. While Jesus was still speaking, it says this. Some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and they said, your daughter 
is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? While Jesus was still operating, while Jesus was still working, while Jesus was still moving in the situation, the negative people in proximity to Jairus came and they said, your daughter is dead. The thing that you've been hoping for, give up. The thing that you're trying to get Jesus to the front doorstep of, don't worry about it anymore. And I don't know if you've ever had those type of people in your life. And my goal with this community is to make sure that those type of people do not exist here. Because I don't want people pushing you away from Jesus. I want people pushing you closer to Jesus. I don't want people discouraging your faith. I want people building your faith. And so in this room, hopefully you don't have these type of people in proximity to your life. But they were basically delivering the negative news because they didn't have the belief that Jesus was capable of doing what Jesus could do. Why do I say that? Because the following statement is, the teach, or, your daughter is dead. Why are you bothering the teacher? There's no need to bother him anymore. And what I found here, you got to get some like-minded people, people in your life that know Jesus the way that you know Jesus. Because you see, they just regulated the Messiah, the Savior of the world, to a teacher of moral laws. Right, Blake, that's on. Track with me. Jesus is way bigger than a moral compass. Is what I'm trying to tell you. They came and like, oh yeah, your daughter's dead. Jesus doesn't have the capacity and the power and the authority to actually do something significant. He can tell you how to navigate life and to get through issues and he'll be a good comforter in the middle of your problems, but can he actually solve your problems? And you need some people in your life that will not restrict Jesus to merely a moral compass. You need people in your life that will put Jesus in the right place. You see, because Jesus knows that he is the resurrection and the life. He's not just a teacher of moral law. He's not just here to tell you good ethics of which you should live by. He says, no, 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 I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. I am life. I am life within itself. I am life incarnate. He says, I am everything that you wish you could have in life. I am the full manifestation of God on earth. But Jairus had people in his life that were restricting Jesus to a moral compass. Why bother the teacher anymore? And here's where I love it in verse 36. It says, overhearing what they said... Jesus spoke directly to Jairus. He told him specifically, don't be afraid, just believe. You see, in that word overhearing, in the NIV translation, it, it just basically means that Jesus has very good hearing and he heard what the discouraging friends were saying to Jairus. In an actual translation, that's a double meaning word. In the original translation, it could also be translated that Jesus ignored what they were saying. That, in other words, Jesus was over, he was done with hearing what they were talking about. And there's some people in this room tonight that you've got to do what Jesus just did in order to get Jesus into your room. You've got to be willing to ignore the negativity that other people are saying and believing wholeheartedly in who Jesus 
is. And the reason why some of you are not getting over the problems of your past, because you're not getting under the promises of Jesus' future. <laughs> you guys are not able to get over the problems of your past because you're not willing to get under the promise of who Jesus says he is. And so if you want to get over it, you got to get under it. Are you guys tracking with me? That if you want to get over the situation that you're in, you want to get over the anxiety that's plaguing you, if you want to get over the discouraging circumstance that you're in, then you've got to put yourself under the promise of who Jesus says that he is. That he is your comforter. He, he, he will give you peace that passes understanding. That Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. We've got to get him into our room. And some of the ways that we can only do that is by ignoring what the negative culture around us is saying. There's even negative Christians. Because their past experience of what their faith has portrayed, it kind of put Jesus into a box that he's only good at random times. No, no, no. God is good. And all the time, we've got to understand this. God is love. He does everything out of and only through that meaning. Love. That's why we sang a song tonight. You take what the enemy meant for evil and you turn it for good. Romans 8, 28. For we know that God works all things together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Get that? According to his purpose. Not according to their opinions. He says, if you want to get over it, you got to get under it. If you want to get over it, say, say if you want to get over it, you got to get under it. If you want to get over the situation, you've got to get underneath the provision and the power and the promise of Jesus. Can I get an amen? amen. Come on, somebody. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told him specifically, he's looking at you tonight. Do not be afraid. Just believe. And he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion. With people crying and wailing loudly. He went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. <laughs> this is what happens when you get Jesus into the room. What everyone else sees on the surface as problem, as issues, dysfunction, discouragement, as illogical, not possible, not probable, hurt, disappointment. Jesus walks into the room. He even says, I see commotion and wailing, but he's like, why? What do you see that I don't see? What is it that you're fixed upon that I'm not fixed upon? Because you see, you see something that's dead, but I think that she's just sleeping. And that's what happens when you get Jesus into the room. He can take something that has a terminal diagnosis and flip it completely around and say, you're seeing it the wrong way because you're seeing it from your limited perspective. But let me give you an insight to an internal perspective that I have. Jesus is not just a moral compass. He is beyond any of our own comprehension. And if you've, you've got to get this foundational principle into your life is that if you want your situation to change, 
You've got to get Jesus into the middle of your situation. And sometimes it's this. Sometimes Jesus doesn't necessarily change your situation. He changes your perspective. He changes how you actually see what's happening. Not from the temporal earthly realm, but from the eternal heavenly perspective. He goes, come here, come here. Let me give you a peek over heaven's balcony and look at it from this perspective. Because you're seeing it from the earthly terrain. But let me elevate you a little bit so you can peek over the balcony of heaven and see it from what I see. And then he even goes on to say, what you have called dead, I'm getting ready to wake up to life. Not because of who you are, but because of who I am. But they laughed at him. But they laughed at him. And then upon that, it says this, after he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. Notice what Jesus just did. He dismissed all the negativity. He dismissed all the skeptics, the cynics. And he goes, let me get some people of faith around me to believe for what I'm actually able to do. And some of you in this room, you need to take inventory of who's in the room with you right now in your life. Because you've got some people in your life that could potentially be pushing you away from experiencing a miracle that God has been waiting to manifest in your life for years. Think of that. Think of that. You've got people in your life that could be potentially inhibiting a move of God in your life. Because they'd rather laugh about the potential of what God could do as opposed to standing in amazement of what he can actually do. That's not even logical. That's not even reasonable. They laughed in the face of Jesus. Have you ever told someone a dream or a passion that you've had and they kind of snickered at the thought of you actually doing it? <sighs> Come on, bro. Seriously. What do you really want to do in life? Uh, uh, that's... That's what I thought I was <laughs> awkward. <laughs> you guys need to get some people into your situation and into your room that breathe life where it looks like only death is existing. And that's what this ministry exists for. That's why we do small groups every week. That's why we try to produce community because we know that you were not meant to do this alone. You were meant to do it linking arms with other saints, pushing in closer to the promises that God has for you. So you've got to get Jesus in the room and get out the negative naysayers and the people that were only going to criticize what God has called you to. And you know sometimes who the crit biggest critic is? Me. And you know who... Put me into that room, Jesus led them into that room. In other words, I didn't open that door, Jesus opened the door for me. Jairus got ushered into that resurrection opportunity of what Jesus was doing. He put them all out. He took her by the hand and he said to her, Talitha Kaum, which means, little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. And at this, they were completely astonished. Could you imagine being one of the skeptics on the outside of that door? Could you imagine sitting out there in the waiting room, criticizing Jesus, criticizing Jairus and thinking, this guy's lost his mind. 
His daughter's dead, and he's in here thinking religion's going to save her. Could you imagine then Jesus pushes them out of the room, shuts the door, says, little daughter, little girl, get up. And then could you then imagine hearing on the other side of that door, all of a sudden the mother and the father start sobbing. And you think, see, I told you. He just confirmed what we already knew. Their daughter was dead. And then there's a gasp of silence and awe. And then all of a sudden you start hearing pitter-patter of feet on the ground. That doesn't sound like an adult footstep. Now all of a sudden, those sobs turned into celebration. And you're on the other side of the door wondering what's going on inside of there. What's happening inside of that room? What is going on? What is taking place? What just took place was someone was willing to fight through opposition, negativity, even their own skepticism, just to get Jesus into the room of their situation. And they were able to experience resurrection life in that moment. If, we, if you want to have a thriving faith, the essential discipline you've got to have right now, it's so simple, is that you've got to get Jesus into the room. Into every venue that you're in, into every conversation that you're in, into every environment that you're in. If Jesus is not in the room, what, what matters? Because like I've said, who's in the room matters. Who's in the environment changes the environment. It changes the experience of the environment. It changes how people respond to the encounter. If Jesus is not in the room and it's just Blake, I'm going to let you know it's going to be a very disappointing environment. But if I bring Jesus into that room, if I allow the Holy Spirit to manifest itself fully into my life and then I minister and I live through that, I bring Jesus into every venue that I'm in. That means that there's an opportunity for healing, restoration, recovery, and resurrection in every room that I'm in. Because it's not me that's in the room, it's Jesus in me that's in the room. And I mean that even emotionally and mentally. You, you have corridors in your mind and you have history and memories in your mind that you will not let Jesus have access to. You have habits and preferences and passions that you exclude Jesus out of. And he's saying, if you would just let me into that room, watch what I would do with it. Because I can do exceedingly more than you ever could with it. And so I want to encourage you tonight, 1825, God can do more than you can do with on your own. He can make a miracle out of your mess. On the surface, it looked like there was commotion and wailing. He can come in and bring calm, peace, and, and a healing to the situation. That's, what, that's, the, that's the God that we serve. Are you guys not excited about that? Are you guys not amped up about that? That we don't serve a God who's got his hands in his pockets. We serve a God that's active. Scripture says that even while he was speaking, the negative friends came and tried to speak to Jairus. And then he says, I'm going to ignore what they say, Jairus. I'm going to speak directly to you. Do not be afraid. Just believe in me. Keep ushering me forward and watch what would happen. Jairus fought through a multitude of thoughts, a myriad of emotions to get Jesus to where he was at. He had to fight through physical opposition. He had to fight through a crowd. 
He had to fight through uh, tons of people just to get access to Jesus. And then if, once he asked Jesus, he had to have the boldness to ask him. And then he had to hope that Jesus would actually say yes. And then upon Jesus saying yes, Jesus is delaying. Have you ever had a moment where Jesus was delaying in your situation? How quick that saps faith out of your life. And then not only that, you see someone that doesn't deserve a miracle get a miracle. That then makes you question and contradict the character of who God says that he is. And then upon that, he delays that much more. And then once you get him there, it's now beyond any sort of, uh, of uh, situation that you could ever do on your own. Your worst fears were now manifested. And in that moment, Jairus can be like, all right, Jesus, just go home. It's over. So that's my encouragement for you tonight. No matter where you're at in your walk of faith, whether you're fighting physical oppositions and circumstances, whether you're fighting against an emotional torment or a theological fracture in your faith, or you're fighting against just this culmination of life, it just seems as if it, it set itself against you. Scripture says that no weapon formed against you could ever prosper. Hush off, you want to come back up. We're going to close. So Jesus speaks, little daughter, get up. And then it goes on to say that they were completely astonished and amazed. And if I were to survey the room tonight, I feel like there are a lot of people in this room that you need Jesus to show up and you need to be astonished and amazed. Or maybe, maybe you just need him to look directly at you and speak boldness, life, and encouragement to you the same way that he did to Jairus. He says, don't get discouraged. Don't be afraid. Just believe. Wherever you're at in your walk of faith, what I've realized in my age is that I need Jesus in every room that I'm in. And not only that, I need Jesus in every room of my life. And every facet of my life and every feeling that I have. Scripture says that we bring every thought captive. And that we are to present it to Jesus. And say, is this aligned with your plan? Does this align with what you've created me to be? And so what I wanted us to do was have an opportunity to get Jesus into the room. Into the room of your current situation. Get into the room of those past pains that you've experienced and you don't feel like you've ever gotten healing or recovery from. Because you know that God's calling you, but it's hard for you to make the climb and to make the ascent and it's hard for you to acclimate to where God's called you when you've got this lingering hurt that you just can't seem to recover from. And I believe that tonight God wants to walk into that room and he wants to bring healing emotionally, mentally, physically. So we're going to have a prayer team and they're going to come up front to my left, to your right.
I'm gonna have us all stand up. And we're gonna go into a time of prayer. And as Hushal begins to sing, as he begins to lead us in worship, if that's you, and you need to get Jesus into the room of whatever situation, whatever circumstance that it is, whether it's financial, emotional, relational, I don't know where it falls in your life, but what I do know is that Jesus has the capacity to bring healing in any venue. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that your timing is perfect. Thank you, God, that your power is unrivaled. Thank you, God, that your wisdom goes beyond our own. Thank you, God, that you sustain us, that you care for us, that you're aware of our emotions, God, that you, you don't ask us to, to, to push those to, a side, to the side, but you actually can help us identify what these emotions are for and what they're attached to. So God, I pray for those that have suffered heartache in their childhood and their adolescence and they've never been able to find healing in that situation. God, I pray for those that are currently going through a heartache or a heartbreak. God, I pray for those that are at a crossroads of purpose and significance that they just don't know why they even exist. They don't know why they're putting in the effort to go to the, school, to, to the school that they're going in. They don't know why they're pursuing the career that they're pursuing. They're just doing it to do it. God, I pray that you speak purpose and life and vision into souls tonight. God, help us to get you into the room. Help us to fight through obstacles. Help us to fight through negativity. Help us to fight through our own skepticism. And just believe. And to allow that faith to rise up in us, God, bigger than our unbelief, bigger than our doubt. God, I pray that you have a doubting Thomas moment in this room right now. That, God, you go through the walls of their life and you let them see and meet you tangibly, God. Let them have an irrefutable encounter with you right now, Jesus. God, thank you for bringing us into your room. begins to sing and as he begins to play move let's have some prayer time together